Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. everybody welcome back to a brand new episode of believe in the jaguars right here on the believe podcast network i'm your co-host phil smith aka phil the filipino and of course joining me is your other co-host james johnson the managing editor of the jaguars wire jay who of course held it down last week solo as i was uh, out of commission still kind of recovering a little bit but jay you again held it down as always and i appreciate you but as far as this you know even though we're coming off a loss it's good to be back here with you and uh you know, we're going to change up the format a little bit here this week and, and see how it goes. Yeah, um, you know, that, that's, I guess that's a good way to dress up out of commission, you know, when you really were working on your OnlyFans account, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, no one wants that, I promise you. No one wants that. If I was making on only money on OnlyFans, I wouldn't be here, I'll tell you that much. Right, right, right. And that's not to say that's the kind of content that, you, like people, when you say OnlyFans, people just jump to a conclusion. Like, oh, what do you mean? Like, right. <laughs> not the only right. thing that goes yeah, on. I, there, okay. I stream on there. Forget Twitch. I stream video game play on OnlyFans. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and he he streams in the process of looking like a very bad player too. But I mean, he he literally is a very bad player. At Fortnite. No, yeah, no. It, it's not looking. It's just not being a good <laughs> right, player. Right. That's all it is. Call of Duty, Fortnite. You name it. He he's just not good at it um I, i'm not good at fortnite myself so i can't talk about that but the other games I'm, I'm okay yet but anyway um yeah man glad to have you back and um appreciate everybody that's rated comment subscribe can't wait to talk about this game that uh you know like at first it looked like it was gonna be a stinker uh especially those first three drives or four drives or so uh, you know, and this is not trying to dress it up or anything like that, but it ended better than we thought it would end. So <laughs> at least we got that to hang our hat on and it wouldn't blow out. But yeah, as always, you know, appreciate everybody subscribing, appreciate everybody rating, commenting and all of that stuff. And uh hope that you enjoy the new format that we're going to go about today. Yeah, again, it looked like it was going to get really ugly really quickly and it didn't turn out that way, which is very nice. So we're going to, of course, recap that game here in just a moment. We also have a really awesome guest here, someone who just joined the Believe Podcast Network in Tracy Sandler, who is a 49ers beat writer and also has an awesome show here on the Believe Podcast Network. So we're going to go behind enemy lines after taking a little bit of a break from that, and uh, we'll get you guys covered there. But you know, before we continue, again, as Jay mentioned, thank you all so much for all the support we get each and every single week on the podcast. You know, the download numbers are great, and we truly couldn't do this without you, so thanks so much. If you are listening on your Apple device, if you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that's one of the best ways you can support the show. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. Of course, you can find us at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow the show on Twitter at Believe in Jags Pod. Find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O, and Jay is over at Sports Grind underscore Don. And then, of course, we have to give a shout out to this week's sponsor, Bet Online, because Bet Online is back and better than ever with a brand new web interface for the start of basketball season. 
and they also have more props, odds, and lines than ever before. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B-L-E-A-V-5-0, to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers for the 2021 season. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. And speaking of BetOnline here, Jay, I know you touched on it very briefly. I feel like we owe, at least we got to throw some money towards Frank Gore since, you know, we're part of the Frank Gore fan club here in Jacksonville as far as setting up, uh, you know, getting him, getting us set up with uh, with Trevor Lawrence. So I think we owe him some. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, and now that you mention it, too, I've always been an advocate of this, that the Jaguars need, like, uh, some like physical hall of fame building me and you have talked about this many many times a physical hall of fame building that you can go in and you can visit that frank gore statue front and center in person right <laughs> so like dude like right. this is all the more especially if he wins this match all the more to get him that statue and when they build a new facility that's what they need to carve out a little section in there that could be a little hall of fame area put that statue in there and some other pieces you know Tony Boselli's first jersey with the team or whatever pieces of memorabilia you could put in there. Uh, but definitely, I want to see that Frank Gore statue in there because he he did get us a prized possession in Trevor Lawrence. Exactly. So you'll always have fans down here in Jacksonville, Frank Gore. Also, Darren Williams, you know, a couple of times. Well, I think once or, yeah, I think once or twice, he also uh, signed with other teams as opposed to the Dallas Mavericks in his prime. And then we got him when he was no good anymore. So you know what? I'm definitely betting on Frank Gore over on Bet Online. But with that being said, Jay, uh, let's take a look at the game here. Uh, of course, the Jaguars fall to the Indianapolis Colts, 23 to 17. Now, as we know, they did go down early, 17 to nothing. And of course, you know Jonathan Taylor was cooking, and uh, it looked like it was going to be a really, really long day. But as you guys know, the Jaguars did rebound and made some adjustments. So. As we mentioned, we're going to look at this thing and do this thing a little bit differently than we have been before. We're essentially going to go with uh, three takeaways from the game and um, see how that goes. You know, we'll maybe get some feedback from you guys. Essentially, we're trying to trim the episode down a little bit. But if you guys like the old format as well, definitely let us know. But Jay, we have to start here with something as far as takeaways because it was just really baffling to kind of see it unfold on social media on Sunday. And that was all of the negative responses to Trevor Lawrence. Now, we know he had a very poor first half, and he has been struggling since the bye week. It's definitely been off. And, you know, you and I have a reason as to why that's happening. And we certainly don't, we don't feel that, you know, we, we keep seeing, well, I kept seeing, I don't know if you saw, but Trevor Lawrence bust was like trending on Twitter. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? And a lot of this has to do with Mac Jones playing really well up in New England. Um, you know, but no one else wants to mention that, you know, Zach Wilson, of course, well, he's hurt, but also wasn't playing very well. And well, Trey Lance, it's, you know, to be determined. But I mean, Mac Jones also landed in the perfect spot for a rookie quarterback. I mean, let's be honest here. Let's call a spade a spade. But what do you think about all of this? All of a sudden, you know, people coming coming for Trevor Lawrence because things have not been going so well as if we are not a seven loss team. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, like you said, with Mac Jones, in his case, he's uh, he he went to a place where he has several weapons and arguably the best coach in NFL history, right? In in the, in the history of football, should we say? And and Josh McDaniels is an offensive mastermind. I know a lot of people 
uh, don't like him and whatnot. But he's an offensive mastermind himself. Now, well, I'll start by saying this, Phil, and I'm kind of going to veer away, but I think one of the reasons, because I did not see the Trevor Lawrence bus thing trending, but I think like when you see something like that trending, that's more on a national level, uh, more so than, you know, on a local level, albeit, the, and we'll talk on this too, the, um, there is a lot of critics of Trevor Lawrence within the fan base, the Jacksonville Jaguars fan base. But when you look at it, like when you look at it from a national level, I'll say this. And I came to this conclusion like a few days ago. I thought about it like, why is Trevor Lawrence? It feel like so it's so highly critiqued. Obviously, he was the number one overall pick and the chosen one come out, out of Clemson and all of that. But everybody knew he was going to uh, the worst team in football, arguably. And I was asking myself, like, why is he so heavily critiqued? And almost it feels like Trevor Lawrence is almost hated on social media in terms of uh, the national audience. And I thought about it. And I think this is a case of where these people in the national media and other fans of other franchises, right, don't necessarily hate Trevor Lawrence. They hate Urban Meyer. And the hate for Urban Meyer is the reason why they say the negative things about Trevor Lawrence that they say about him. It's because they are basically, everything they want to say about Urban Meyer, they're putting that on Trevor Lawrence, basically. And they don't believe in Urban Meyer to begin with. A lot of people don't, to be honest with you. But nonetheless, like Trevor Lawrence is receiving a lot of criticism because he plays for a coach that... Quite frankly, a lot of people don't believe it's going to translate to the NFL. And, you know, with that, you know, they're kind of linked. They always say the head coach and the quarterback is kind of, are kind of linked in terms of uh, whoever drafts this quarterback or that quarterback or the other quarterback. And I think that's part of the reason is just that hatred and animosity and, and belief that Urban Meyer will fail. And that's translated to hate and belief that Trevor Lawrence will fail as well, which is quite frankly kind of ridiculous. But that's another story for another time in terms of, yeah, like this, you know, what's going on within the local fan base. And I hate to put it this way, but the Jaguars fan base has always kind of had civil wars within each other uh, since we haven't been winning. Uh, you know, people are divided on certain things, uh, which is okay. I mean, I think that's, that's becoming common in this day and age, but yeah, in, in terms of, you know, like blaming Trevor Lawrence, man, you know, when I look at the film, man, like, I'm also disgusted with the lack of separation that the receivers are getting. And, and look, this is coming from a non-biased place because guess what? I was one of the people that was high on this receiver core. Remember, feel like I'm literally one of their top backers. Okay. And then I look at it and I'm disgusted at the film. They're not separating. Um, LaVisca Chenault, you know, the two, he had two catches in a row in the, I was looking at it on the all 22. He had two catches in a row uh, um, in the third quarter, early in the third quarter, both of which were highly contested. You know, like the dudes were literally draped on his back. Uh, so that kind of just goes to show you like what we've been seeing all year. And I think also part of it too is that Daryl Bevel is not helping these receivers in terms of scheming them open. Me and you and Boogie talked about this earlier. They moved LaVisca Chenault around a lot last year to get him open uh, because he's not a guy you want to, rely on separating in ISO situations a lot, you know, like he, he can do it at times, but not a lot. And then uh, another part of it too, that I'm curious of is, you know, the change at the receiving co uh, the, in terms of the coach, Keenan McCardell is a guy who's very detailed, a former NFL receiver himself. 
Uh, he's a guy that, you know, I believe is very good at those little details and how to separate and this, that, and another. He's no longer here and is showing. But all of that is not said to say that Trevor Lawrence has played perfectly or that he's not to blame for some things. The fumble, you can't absolutely do that. Uh, it's been some throws that he's made, and I'm like, Trevor, what are you doing? It's been some losses he's taken behind the line of scrimmage. I'm like, Trevor, what are you doing? Like, you got to throw that away or get the get rid of the ball in some way, shape, or form. Um, but, you know, those are kind of the things that come with a rookie quarterback. But at the same time, these veterans that's in the receiving core, and it's kind of not their fault that Trent Baalke and Urban Meyer didn't get stars there, uh, but they're not helping him out either. And uh, that's caused a very, very huge problem where the Jacksonville Jaguars need to address the receiver position in the uh, the, the most, I guess you could say, aggressive of ways next year. Yeah, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, Jay, where they need to add one or two of these guys. And I, I mean, I got to ask you, like, because, you know, Marvin Jones was having a solid uh, year early on. You know, he was definitely building up that chemistry with Trevor and now and, and you know to kind of give you guys an idea we've combined kind of the first and second part here of the, as far as the uh, the takeaways so these are takeaways one and two just to let you guys know but what do you think's been going on with Marvin is it that defenses are focusing more on him because they know he's really the only consistent threat that Trevor Lawrence has or, or what do you think's going on there specifically you know you see Trevor go to Jamal Agnew quite a bit you know he gets quite a few targets but you know he's still kind of evolving I guess or trying to learn how to play this wide receiver position a little bit more since he has primarily been a a, you know a special teams guy and of course you know we saw him break the big run later today I would love to see more of that that you know that would be fantastic but what do you think it is about Marvin Jones is there something going on or maybe is it is it scheming what's going on with Marvin Jones and why has he been a little bit of a disappointment lately let me add this as well Uh, Trevor Lawrence hasn't been uh, helped by the drops as well Right, Which that's man. part of go- that goes into my disappointment with Ooh. this receiving court. So, yeah, with these receivers, if you're not going to separate all that great, you got to get used to catching contested catches, which, I, you know, I, I spoke on Chenault catching two in a row, but it's been times where he's made drops and, and so on and so forth. So, like, you can never, like, for me, you can't be a receiver that don't separate and don't catch the ball either. You can't have your cake and eat it, okay? If you can't separate, get used to people being draped over you and making harder catches than usual or whatever the case may be. But maybe I'm being too harsh there or whatever the case may be. Also, and, and so on Marvin Jones too, I've kind of touched on this in the past too. You know, Marvin Jones is to me, he was more of the, the crafty guy and, you know, without DJ Chark there, you know, it's going to make things extremely difficult on him. And you're asking a guy that's what 30, 31 years old, to be your top separator, your top receiver. And by the way, he hasn't had the best history in terms of, uh, you know, injuries as well. But, you know, they they might be simply asking too much of him, but he was never a guy, again, when I remember him from, you know, just what film I did see on him, admittedly, I wasn't like the guy that watched the most film on him with the Lions, but he was a guy that I could see, especially at his age, you know, he was a guy that I could see would have, trouble separating just like the rest of these guys right and that being said I think that's part of it like maybe you know like at his age like he's not gonna be this elite tier separator um and and that being said you know like you said people can key in on him and this that and the other now that he's the only guy that uh DJ Chark is going and they don't have any speed because Travis Etienne is going so it's a mixture 
of those things. But it, I mean, like it, it, Tyron Johnson was a complete bust. If we're talking about bust, <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And you know, he was a guy that what caught two passes for this team. Uh, so you know, like I mean, I think, and and to be honest with you, at the age that Marvin is at right now, and I told you this before the podcast, is I wouldn't be surprised if the Jaguars are aggressive like they should be in terms of getting a receiver or getting multiple receivers to uh, it, this offseason, whether it's through the draft or free agency. I wouldn't be surprised if Marvin Jones is the number three or the number four if you do what you have to do in terms of getting some elite guys ahead of him. So, uh, you know, maybe that's what it is, is he's, you know, on a good roster, he's a number four, and here he's the number one. So that could cause some issues too. And again, you know, Daryl Bevel isn't doing the best job of like uh, scheming these guys open. He's putting them in a lot of ISO situations and they're not going to win those. They don't have the speed to do so. They don't have the separation skills and the craftiness to do that. I don't know if Sanjay Lau, who is the receivers coach, is a guy that could, you know, that that flourishes at coaching that kind of thing in terms of separation. But, you know, like they have to scheme guys open. And what we mean by that is, you know, we saw it last year with LaVisca, you know, they would motion him in space or motion him in an area where he would be in space. Or we've seen it. We've seen Daryl Belville do it occasionally. When he went to the trips bunch formation, remember this? I forgot what game that was. And it might've been the Titans and Jamal Agnew basically ran an underneath route. You know, it was an underneath, I think outside type of slant pattern on the trips bunch and it basically freed him open because it was two other receivers in the area with him and it freed him open. He was able to convert a third now. So those are the type of things you want to see more of that with this scheme. Maybe you will, maybe you won't time will tell, but um, yeah, man, it's a lot of issues going on with this team and they aren't helping Trevor Lawrence like they should be. Yeah. I remember seeing a tweet, you know, as far as Trevor Lawrence's weapons, like he had, he even had better options when he was in high school. So, I mean, when you take a guy who, of course, has been surrounded by excellent talent for a long time, and you give him the talent that is on this team, and you take away a guy in DJ Chark who was, as we've talked about, already struggling, this is what you're going to get. So, I mean, guys, for those of you that are criticizing Trevor, do you really feel the same as when you, as you did when we had Blake Bortles or Blaine Gabbert as your quarterback? No, you don't. So is he, is he struggling? Absolutely. Is he getting that much help? No, he's definitely not. So to be honest with you, I don't want to hear it. And because we just really don't know and we won't know until guys are brought in that, again, that are able to get separation, that are able to make plays for him, that don't drop the football all the time. And you know what? Until we see that, then we can't necessarily make a, uh, you know, a solid decision. Did Blaine Gabbert really have the weapons? Maybe not. But Blake Bortles had the Allen brothers. And those guys, if we had them now, we'd be winning some more football games. Go ahead, Jay. I was just about to say that if we had Dave Caldwell, <laughs> dare I say his name, if we had Dave Caldwell, at least Dave Caldwell to make the decision on drafting receivers, you know, Trevor Lawrence will flourish because Dave Caldwell knew how to draft receivers and whatnot. And, you know, if we had Keenan McCardell, I feel like we might be flourishing too. If we had, and you know who was at the Buffalo Bills game, Jay? You know who was in a suite? Keelan Cole. Keelan Cole was watching the game because they, I think they invited him back for the uh, – you know, the the former uh, player's day. So, yeah, Keelan Cole, I still lobbied, and I, I know you did too to keep him around, but we knew kind of the writing was on the wall when some of these other signings came in. Let's do give a shout-out, though, to Laquan Treadwell, Jay, as far as his, him 
laying out Darius Leonard and uh, shout out to Darius Leonard as well since he pays so much attention to social media but also uh, Laquan Treadwell yeah only one catch for 18 yards but man he was out there playing football and making a uh, you know making an impact in the running game for sure he was fantastic yeah he had like a 97 or something on PFF in terms of blocking and run blocking and I mean you love to see it too like you know I a lot of people, again, I said this on Twitter, a lot of people will be like, I don't care if, if somebody could stalk block or run block as a receiver. I want to see catches. But, I mean, that, that speaks volumes. These are the kind of people you want on your team, too. You, Yeah, you sure you want elite receivers. That's a given. You want guys that's going to catch the ball and make a difference in the passing game. But you also want guys that – and I'm not saying the Jaguars have guys that do not work hard and are lazy and, and don't have any work ethic. But you you want guys on this team that, look, Laquan Treadwell is fresh off the practice squad, really. He's a guy that didn't get a lot of, you know, targets or whatever the case may be. And yet he's still trying to drive freaking Darius Leonard to the Gatorade cooler. Those are the, right. <laughs> those are the guys that you want on this team around Trevor. Everybody talk about what you want to surround Trevor Lawrence with. Let's surround Trevor Lawrence with some guys that, you know, despite – how the season has gone for him, and despite his struggles in the past, Laquan Treadwell, former first-round pick, he threw it, man. You know, he he didn't pan out in with Minnesota, didn't really pan out like that. They tried him at tight end, I think, with the Falcons, didn't really pan out there. But yet he comes to you know to work every day, brings his lunch pail to work every day, grinds his behind off, got his first reception, or no, nah, no, nah, that wasn't his first reception. I don't think in the regular season with the Jags, it it might have been his second or third. I think he. I feel like he had one in Seattle, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, he might have had one before that, but it was a clutch one, though. I mean, you you know, it, it was a, a key one. And also, he displayed one of my, uh, you know, one of the followers said this. He displayed great hands on that because that ball wasn't thrown perfectly. It was thrown behind him and high. And Jeff Lagerman pointed that out earlier. So, you know, those are the type of guys you probably want around Trevor Lawrence, and they need to get him more targets, too, because, you know, he wants it. I mean, I basically treat this guy kind of like, not that they're the same player, but treat him like Jamal Agnew, a guy that's hungry and want to make plays. Okay, let's give him some more targets. Obviously, you know, he, he comes to work every day, ready to work, um, and he wants to make an impact in some way, shape, or form. And look, he's doing it without even having a ball in his hand. And that was actually his first catch, Jay. So first catch of this season was against the Colts. So uh, he pre- previously played in the Denver game, the Miami game, and then the Buffalo game. And uh, this was his first catch was here in the Colts game. So, yeah, like you said, just a guy that's going out there, working really hard. Is he ever going to live up to, you know, the first round pick and being that star wide receiver? Probably not. But he can still come in and be a very, very good and effective player. Um, you know, even if he's not necessarily going to be a big time receiver. Again, like you said, Jay, you want guys like that. If you're going to be a run heavy team, if you're going to go... Uh, with Jamal Agnew on the outside, what better than to have a guy like Laquan Treadwell who's going to run an all-pro linebacker out of the, you know, right out of the way? So, I mean, come on, guys. let's uh, you, you take wins where you can get them. So we, we definitely had to shout out Laquan Treadwell because he had an excellent game. Um, but yeah, as far as the receivers, like this is something that's going to be very, very important going into the offseason because, like you said, Marvin Jones on a really good team at his age probably is going to be the third or fourth option. Who knows what the heck's going to go on with LaVisca Chenault. I mean, I know you and I and, and Boogie have been just so disappointed in his performance. And, you know, uh, of course, he brings a great energy to the locker room. But ultimately, you know, you got to help the guy. You know, you got to help your quarterback. You got to help your team win. And um, he's just not doing that right now. And I don't know if that, again, has a lot to do with 
DJ Chark throwing off all of the chemistry there. I don't know if it's Sanjay Lal. Again, I mean, he was with Seattle previously. Um, he's also coached in Dallas, Indy, Buffalo, uh, Oakland, the Jets. So, I mean, as recently with the Seattle Seahawks, I mean, he was coaching up Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. But I mean, let's be honest, I don't know how much coaching DK Metcalf needs. But, you know, he was he was with some, you know, big name guys. But it's still at the same time, something's got to change. And then, of course, you know, we didn't even touch on Tyron John. Well, we did very briefly, but Tyron Johnson coming in and just, you know, only being able to run one route, it seems, and not being able to hold on the ball. But I don't know, Jay. But, you know, that's what I, what I have to say as far as the first two points. We'll get to the third one. But, but go ahead really quick uh, before we move on. I can't remember if Sanjay was um, a receivers coach for the Seahawks, but he was on their staff in some capacity. What I will say is this, when you ask the question, you don't know how much coaching DK meant. Wide receivers coach. Yeah, wide, wide receivers coach in Seattle. He yeah. was. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And was that how Metcalf was there? It says, uh, let's see here, following one season as wide receivers coach with the Seattle Seahawks. It doesn't say what year. Um Oh, hold well, on a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. One season with the Seahawks, uh, Lal led a receiving core tied for third in the league with 2,000-yard receivers, Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Okay, but to answer your question, you don't know how much coaching that uh, DK Metcalf needs. Apparently, he needs a lot of coaching in terms of controlling his frustrations after jacking up old boy. I forgot who it was. and got He got ejected from the game, right, last week or whatever. I think so. so Something like, like that, yeah. He need, he and then need, in 2019... Uh, Mari Cooper and Michael Gallup. So, I mean, he's had guys uh, 2018 in Dallas, Des Bryant, Cole Beasley, uh, again, Amari Cooper, Randall Cobb. So he's worked with like, T.Y. Hilton, uh, Sammy Watkins. He's worked with these guys. So, like, why isn't, why isn't that translating now? Not to say that we have an Amari Cooper or a D.K. Metcalf or Tyler Lockett, but, like, I mean, Cole Beasley, I mean, he, you, you coach up a guy like, like Cole Beasley, Eric Decker, you know, guys like that have been successful under him. So it's like, why now? Are these guys just not as talented or do they not have it in them? I don't know. It's we're just trying to figure it out that. Yeah, it could be that that, you know, the talent level doesn't match up to what he had before. And a lot of those guys, too, like that, you name like Amari Cooper, for example, probably came out of college as polished as you can be as a receiver, too. Like, I mean, he literally came from the University of Alabama, you know, like and that's not to say Alabama sends receivers into the NFL perfect. But they're probably going to be as well coaches you can get, you know, and some of those have, things you, they, they almost have lately. Right. Basically. Right. So, like, these are guys that come into the league that don't need that same degree of coaching uh, in terms of separating as others. You know, like, you know, a guy maybe from Florida where, you know, the scheme's wide open and you don't have to really preach separation like that. It just happens naturally or whatever the case may be. But, you know, that's just my take. Yeah, so we'll see, you know, as a time will tell thing in time in terms of, you know, what the Jaguars do, not only in terms of, you know, the players that's in the receiver's room, but maybe we see some changes at, you know, at the um the receiving coaching position, or maybe we see a new assistant added or something like that. Um, we'll see, you know, like it's a little early to tell and Urban Myers in his first year. And he speaks highly of his staff, so it's kind of hard to say like if he'd be willing to move on from some of these guys. Or just bring back Keenan and then just pluck him from the Minnesota Vikings and bring him on back. That's definitely the way to go, Coach. But yeah, let's get into our third takeaway here, Jay. We just have to give you know a shout out to the defense, who again, you know, things looked like it was going to be a, a rough day early on. Jonathan Taylor was going off, and he looked basically unstoppable from literally the first snap. And 
you know, it was frustrating, Jay, because Carson Wentz was just playing so sloppy, man. And we're just wait, we're just waiting for them to take advantage of that. But you know, they didn't necessarily get that turnover from him as far as like interceptions, but they definitely started to clamp down on Jonathan Taylor. And you know, Jay, with the way that the defense has played in some of these matchups that they've had throughout the season, of course, you talk about the Buffalo game. Um, you know, of course, you, they, they kind of took a week off, I guess, against Geno Smith. They really wanted to highlight Geno Smith. But, you know, portions of the Cardinals game, the Bengals game, even the Titans, when a little bit early on, you know, they were doing pretty well. But there are performances now from this defense where you think to yourself, man, if they can just have, again, one of those off seasons we keep talking about almost every single week, where you get a guy like a Malik Jackson, a Calais Campbell, A.J. Boye, Barry Church, and it doesn't have to be all of those guys. But if you bring in a couple of those guys, Andre Sisco is who you expect him to be. And, uh, you know, the, the interior linemen continue to help out and Dewan Smoot and, and Josh Allen continue to be a really great duo. Then, man, you got something in the works here that can be very special akin to heading into the 2017 season by adding just a couple of those pieces. So, you know, let's shout out the defense. They did a great job at not only, you know, keeping them in the game, but also adjusting as well. Also, add this in, if they could add a guy like Jordan Davis from the University of Georgia. <laughs> Got that part, right? <laughs> no, I, I, didn't, I didn't forget that part, but you clearly, you clearly <laughs> did not. So. You know what? Again, add that whole Georgia front that's entering the draft. Nolan Smith, uh, Anderson's dealing with some allegations, so you probably might have to stay away from him. But the rest of the guys, you know, uh, maybe go with the rest of the guys that entered the draft. But, um. Yeah, man. So, like, with this defense, right, you know, I've been highly critical of them. But I, I do remember saying this, and I don't know if you can remember it as well, Phil, but I remember saying this, it might have been months ago. Like, you know, we were previewing the season basically ahead of time. Like, my, this might have been around the preseason or even before the preseason. But I think me and you have had this conversation that, look, sometimes when you're uh, when you're translating to a new defense, and going from the different dynamics the Jaguars were at with the 4-3 scheme, and it was simplistic with Todd Wash, right? And when you move into something as complicated as what, you know, they're trying to do with Joe Cullen and what the Ravens do, I think I, I call this that, you know, sometimes it takes a half a year to make that transition, right? Because they're going from something that was real, real basic. And, and you know, like it, it didn't, it wasn't much to it under Todd Wash to, Something where, you know, Joe, we talked about this. Yeah, we did talk about this because I remember us mentioning they're going to be blitzing a lot, right? We had Kevin on. So they're going to be a team. And, and that's something that Todd Wash never really did. You know, like he was like against the blitz nine times. He'll throw one in or one or two in there. But like he was a guy that like he might be the coordinator that blitzed the least in the NFL. Maybe. I don't know. We'll have to look that up one day. But, you know, they were going from that to, you know, going to a completely different dynamic, a team that blitzed a lot, a team that moved around a lot and this, that, and the other. And, you know, like that was something that I said was a concern for me is that it would take a half a year for this defense to get in. Maybe that's what it is. You know, now, granted, I have been super critical on this defense uh, to begin the year, you know, these first 10, 11 weeks. And I have been super critical that they don't have the alphas there. And I still believe that. But at the same time, when I made that statement about, you know, the transition taking so long, I was hoping that Joe Cullen would get them to overachieve. Basically, I was hoping that Joe Cullen can turn a bunch of mid-tier players into what we're seeing now. 
Um, and, you know, hopefully it's sustainable. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Knock on wood. But I am happy that they've made that transition and they're playing better with what they have. And I think a part of it is they've going back to what we were saying about how complicated it could be and a lot of blitzing and a lot of this, that, and the other too. Urban Meyer said this either today or Monday, but they simplified some things too. And when they went into that bye week, they also evaluated this defense and realized that they needed to sprinkle more zone coverage in there. And ever since that bye, they've looked better. I know, you know, you mentioned the Seahawks game, but even Geno didn't have, he didn't register 200 receive, uh, passing yards. If yeah, I recall. that's true. That's true. You know, so like whatever adjustments they made to, you know, sprinkle some more zone in there. Tyson Campbell's playing better. Uh, you know, they, Urban Meyer mentioned him today and Mia O'Brien, you know, said that, uh, so I'm paraphrasing here that he's turned into more of that dog mentality that, you know, that Griffin has and, you know, like Allen and all of those guys have. Tyson is kind of finding his way. And that's good because we we invested a, a second round pick into this dude. And we need like we we cannot afford for Tyson Campbell not to be good after we took him with the first pick in the second round. And he keeps making plays week after week. And, you know, I'm cool with it. You know, like he made a play on uh, T.Y. Hilton, knocked the ball out. You know, he caught it and then he kind of knocked it out early or whatever the case may be. That was in the third quarter. Just watched that on the all 22. But, yeah, I think like that may be what it is, is that, you know, Joe Cullen is getting the best out of this team with, you know, with the mid-tier level guys that's there. And also, lastly, but not least, we can't stress this enough, Rudy Ford. Rudy Ford, Rudy Ford, Rudy Ford is a big difference from Trey Herndon. Well, that's been a big time. Yeah, the he's been fantastic. Right. And I don't think even they knew what they were getting in Rudy Ford uh, when they got him. But luckily, it's a mistake that, you know, they could capitalize on just like probably Dan Arnold was. They didn't know they were getting what they were getting out of Dan Arnold. But it's a mistake you could capitalize on and it can make you better. Uh, and I don't think, like, again, going back to Ford, the reason I say that with him is because they kept Trey Herndon out there so long before they made the transition, and they figured out, like, hey, you know, like, maybe we should try Ford there. And now they need to do the same with Andre Sisko and get him out there. And when they make that change, they may be a team that, dare I say, could even crack, you know, within the top 20. And, uh, you know, then, you know, next year they can add all the alphas and all of that that we talked about many, many times. But... Uh, that's that's later down the road. But, man, you got to give them their props. Got to give Joe Cullen his props. We love them coming into this situation. And, you know, Austin Lane spoke highly of him. And he's finally becoming the guy that we were hoping that he could in terms of getting the most out of his guys right now. Yeah, man, again, and just the uh, their ability to adjust. And, of course, Josh Allen, you know, I, I know there were some people a little bit worried about him after he lost – you know, the running mate in Calais Campbell, but man, for him to come out and uh, reestablish himself as one of the top tier pass rushers in the league. And Jay, you know, I also want to give you the floor to talk about Taven Bryan, who you also talked about before we got started, who just does not care about uh, the, what's the, uh, why am I blanking on the Colts, uh, <laughs> the Colts interior Quentin lineman Nelson. there? Quentin Nelson who just doesn't give a damn and has no regard for that man's, you know, uh, uh, tenure in the, in the league because Taven was uh, having, <laughs> was certainly having a day. <laughs> yeah, man. He don't, he literally doesn't care about Quentin Nelson's all pro status or none of that. Like, because we've had this conversation before two years ago, was that Taven's rookie year? I think 
two years ago, Taven was turning up on Quentin Nelson too. And I think he got a sack off of him too last year or, or two years ago, or whenever that was, man. So look, man, Taven these last two weeks have made, has made a lot of impact plays and, you know, Tyler actually texted me about this as he was writing about Taven today. And he asked me, he was like, James, do you think it's possible Taven Bryant could get re-signed next year after what we've seen these last two years? And I thought about it. And my answer to that was, I believe so. If he that's that is, if he continues to play as he has. Now, if he continues to play like the Taven Bryant we saw before week eight or whatever it was, then let him go, you know, shoot him, shoot him to whatever other team, slingshot him to whatever other team you, you know, that he wants to go to. But if he continues to play like he has and make, make these impact plays that he has, I think Taven Bryant could stick around. And a lot of people probably are going to be, you know, never come back to this podcast for me saying that, but here's why Taven Bryant could be signed for one of those type of cheap deals that Trent Baalke likes to go for. And what I mean for that is those two, the two year deal they gave Dewan Smoot, right? The one year deal they gave Sidney Jones. We saw a lot of those handed out this year where you, you know, you just extend or keep guys that were on the team last year for dirt cheap. And I think like Taven Bryan, if he don't, if he don't turn up too much and look too close to a all pro or pro bowler, he could be had for one of those type of deals. And Trent Baalke's history says that he likes to hang on to guys that actually proved themselves on the roster on the previous year. So to answer the question, that's what I told Tyler. Yeah, I think he could return if he continues his play. Wild to say that after the beginning to the season that he had, right? <laughs> it's just crazy. But yeah, like you said, he could definitely stick around on one of those team-friendly deals. Uh, I mean, you, you look at the guys as far as his contract, Right now, Jay, the guys that are in his area, you know, you, you look at a guy like Tyson Alualu. Of course, you got to bring that name up here. Al Woods, that's a name that's in his uh, kind of similar in his vicinity. So, I mean, you're talking about paying guys, you know, not a whole lot of money here uh, as far as, um, you know, what he'd be earning. So, if you, if you bring in a guy that can be part of the rotation, we don't, again, we don't need him to be Aaron Donald. He just needs to come in and make a play every once in a while and be consistent. Then yeah, why not bring him back on a small, uh, you know, on a small deal? The guy that I want out is Dewey. So as long as we get rid of one of them, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and look, the Jaguars are looking at what potentially again the most salary cap in the league, if not the most. Like they'll be top five next year in terms of most salary cap in the league. So what's what's an Al Woods like deal to give to Taven Bryan if he continues to, uh, you know, do what he's doing in, in terms of you know these last two weeks? So. We'll see, um, and hopefully those aren't – you know, if he continues to do what he does, hopefully that's not the only move they make if they get some alphas actually with him. Because if he's the highlight of, of the offseason, we're going to yeah, be mad yeah, yeah, yeah. that we kept <laughs> Brian. Uh, but, you know, if they can get some alphas with him and make that rotation whole and complete, and when I say whole, you know, make it better at the top in terms of the number ones, look, man, this defense could take that Baltimore Ravens step. Definitely, Jay. Well, is there anything else you wanted to touch on here as far as on the offensive, defensive, or special team side of the ball before we get into, you know, the awesome conversation we had here with uh, Tracy Sandler, one of the newest members of the Believe Podcast Network? Yes, draft a kicker in the last three rounds. Yeah, and I'll leave it at that. I mean, that you know, that's not to say that Matthew Wright, that he's a guy that I, I signed off on and I think has potential. 
But at the same time, too, I've always said this, like, literally, the Jaguars, since Josh Lambeau struggles, have they should have been drafting the kicker in the seventh round these last two years anyway. So, you know, keep right, cheap deal, bring in a, a kicker through the draft, let him compete, and then, you know, it'll settle itself. Get that kid from Texas Tech that, like, kicked a 62-yarder. You know, bring him in, maybe. Or bring hey, Cameron Dicker. Dicker the kicker, baby. Let's go. Bring him <laughs> or, in. <laughs> or bring Those in, Texas kickers, man. Bring in whoever the Colts uh, let go between Rodrigo and uh, oh, yeah. Ashley. <laughs> yeah, we'll take either one of those guys. That, that sounds good as well. So, all right, folks. Well, let's go ahead and look ahead to uh, Behind Enemy Lines. And for this week, we are bringing in the San Francisco 49ers beat writer and newest member of the Believe Podcast Network, Tracy Sandler. All right, everybody, we are back here with a brand new segment of Behind Enemy Lines. Took a little bit of a break last week, but we are back at it with a very, very special guest today. We have Tracy Sandler from the brand new Tracy Sandler Show on the Believe Podcast Network. We are super excited to have you as part of the Believe family, Tracy. Uh, For those of you that don't know, Tracy is the founder and CEO of Fangirl Sports, which is a digital media company that delivers funny, inspiring informative content to female sports fans with a behind the scenes look at women making waves in the industry. You can find her on Twitter at 49ers fangirl and Tracy. I know I can speak for Jay here as two men that have been very heavily influenced by successful and powerful women. We're super excited to have you. So how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And we are ready to talk about this matchup coming up here this weekend. You know, the Jaguars have been on a little bit of a roller coaster, but they've also won two of their last four games. So, you know, with the the Niners coming in and them being a little bit in flux, you know, they'll look a little off one week and then they beat the Rams. So it's kind of like, what's going on over there? That's what we have you on. (laughs) So we're excited. Yeah, the Niners are also a little bit of a roller coaster. So Right, exactly. (laughs) So we are all in the same boat. So let's get to the the questions here. We're going to talk about, you know, the the Rams game here because it seems pretty clear that Kyle Shanahan owns the Rams at this point dating back to 2019 he's 5-0 and against Sean McVay and the Rams and we saw them be dominant this past Monday night which shocked quite a few people I mean you know considering the the new talent that the Rams have brought in what do you think were some key takeaways from Monday's surprising victory against the Rams who were just full of you know all of this um, expectation bringing an OBJ and Von Miller what did the Niners do to go in there and be like uh, not so fast well First of all, they won the turnover battle, which is something they've struggled with all season long. They did not commit any themselves and they had two of their own. So that was huge. They were supremely efficient on third down, which has been one of the biggest issues for the 49ers offense. And they really played well on all sides of the ball. They've had numerous games where the defense will have a decent game. The offense, not so much. The offense will have a good game. The defense, not so much. And they have not played complimentary football. And I mean, even on special teams, we saw DJ Jones do that an awesome block, you know, the fake field goal. So we really saw them clicking on every side of the ball. The play calling was, you know, I think as good as we've seen it as the execution, but I would say the biggest thing is when we're winning the turnover battle and uh, being efficient on third down and time of possession. I'm going to say that too, because one way to get a, one way to keep a good offense from scoring is to keep them off the field. So that was also a big one. 
Absolutely. Turnovers and, and taking care of the ball yourself. I mean, you can see the results right there this past Monday. Jay, it was definitely a surprising outcome. You know, of course, as I just mentioned, with the Rams being the talk of the NFL over the last week. So for the Niners to come in and have that statement win was very impressive for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, well, at the same time, but is it though? Like for me personally, when the Rams made all those moves, right? I, it was in the back of my head, in the back of my head, I was like, you know what? It would not shock me if the Rams came off of this week where they got Odell Beckham and just looked terrible, you know, and that's not even to take credit from the 49ers or anything like that. Cause they went out there and flat out played back. Uh, they, they went out there and flat out played great ball and all of that stuff. But you know, like this, like this has been a weird year is what I'm saying. And basically it did not shock me the slightest bit, especially when looking at Shanahan's resume against that, uh, that team in general. And then, you know, when you consider it's a divisional game, those are typically, you know, sometimes you can see the underdog winning. So, you know, there's that. Uh, but that being said, like, I wasn't super shocked. But at the same time, when you look at all the talent that they have, you know, it definitely should have ended up like it was in terms of how the end result was. But my question is personally on, like, s- somewhat of the same thing, right? So they have to come to the West Coast. And I'm talking about the 49ers here is it reasonable to think that the fans or is it reasonable for the fans to look at this as a trap game against the Jacksonville Jaguars, albeit they have two wins, but again, they got to make that trip from coast to coast. And also this is a Jags team that has knocked off a few teams or, or in some cases, you know, just stuck with some teams. If you're talking about the Arizona Cardinals uh, that they probably shouldn't be able to stick with. Uh, How do you feel about that, Tracy? Well, I think it definitely, it has all the makings of a trap game. I don't think it will be a trap game, especially at this point. If they played this game, honestly, in week three, four, five, then I would say potentially, yes, it could very be a trap game. But I think at this point, San Francisco, something happened last week at some point. You know, I think something happened that changed their mindset. I'm not saying they're going to come out and blow out the Jaguars because I actually think it could end up being a little bit closer than people think. First, partly because of what you just said. They do, the Jaguars are, yes, they knocked off the Bills and they are kind of hanging around with teams. But I think San Francisco now is in a position where, you know, every game really counts for them, which is, you know, it's a week to week league and all the cliches, but this is not a team that can afford a trap game. And I I don't think this team is even in a position to see a trap game, if that makes sense. You know, like, I don't think this team has not proven it's good enough to even get caught in a trap game. And I, I don't know if that's like totally making sense, but you saw the 49ers beat the bears in a game that they easily could have lost. They were playing a not great bears team. There was a lot of excitement around them. And then they came out and lost to the Colt McCoy led Arizona Cardinals and this was the it was an Arizona Cardinals team that was missing pretty much all of their top top players so I think I can see why it could look like a trap game I could see why people would be concerned about that I don't think it'll be an issue because San Francisco is just not even in a position to feel like they're above anyone right now because every week it's a different team well, from how I gathered it, that's a very respectful way to put it for the Jazz fans that are listening <laughs> to this podcast. That's a very respectful, like that's mo- that might be yeah. the most respectful response. Most of our guests, heard. Most, 
most of our guests come in and like, no, you guys are going to get destroyed. And we're like, no, probably. But, you know, I didn't get <laughs> especially, especially the Buffalo week. That was a uh, that was a rough one. <laughs> I was just thinking that or I was just going to say that, I, you know, I think with the travel and the 10 a.m. Pacific start, the 49ers could start slow. Their offense has kind of had a tendency, not the other night, because their offense had that 11 minute drive in, in the first quarter. But, you know, most weeks, the offense is a little slow. I could see them starting slow and it'd be pretty close going into the half. I think the 49ers will pull away in the second half and will win I'm not I don't think they're going to blow them out but I don't think the game is really going to be a question I'll put it that way I'm still being respectful so, <laughs> so basically is yeah. which isn't easy for me because I went to Michigan so I being respectful of Urban Meyer on any level is very difficult for me as a Michigan Wolverine because right. I, I I'm in a Michigan so that's hard for me no matter what but I'm still being respectful because you guys were nice enough to have me on and I want to be nice to your fans <laughs> and listeners. <laughs> hey, not, not a problem. I grew up a Michigan fan. I, I grew up in Mount Pleasant for a few years, so I'm right there with you. It's okay. It was tough getting urban oh, here. Go blue. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah, right there. where central Michigan. Yeah, is. So go, go blue, go chips. I'm, I'm all down. I'm all, uh, I'm all up for that. So yeah, it, it does, especially for a Jaguar team, Jay, as we've seen them, have like these bursts of, you know, really, really good play, but then they're just unable to make plays at the same time. You know, it's one of those things like just as an example in the Arizona game where they are hanging around, but it takes Jamal Agnew breaking an NFL record or tying an NFL record and stuff like that. So um, yeah, it should definitely be interesting. And of course, you know, a big part of that Tracy is going to be Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, at one time, Jay and I can speak on this. We were big fans of, of Jimmy G and, and bringing him in here, especially over Blake Bortles. That's a whole thing we won't even get into. But uh, what has been, what's your personal assessment on Garoppolo? Because the Niners fan base seems pretty mixed on him since he's added to the roster. You know, we had the whole Super Bowl thing. And, you know, what is your personal assessment of their quarterback? You know, I think Jimmy Garoppolo is a good quarterback. And I think when put in positions to be successful, he is in fact success, successful. Uh, I think we see, you know, in a game like Monday where they were really able to establish the run game, it's a perfect game for Jimmy Garoppolo. But in 2019, the Super Bowl year, we also saw Jimmy Garoppolo in a couple of games, one being against the Arizona Cardinals, one being against the New Orleans Saints. When they had to win it in the air, he made sure they, they did win it in the air. He's had three very, very efficient weeks uh, these last three weeks. He's played really well. Even in that Arizona game, he did play really well. So I, I one thing I've never quite understood is the vitriol towards Jimmy Garoppolo. I understand fans wanting something different. I want, I understand his fans being concerned about the injuries I know there are times where his play is up and down I've just never kind of understood the vitriol towards Jimmy Garoppolo um but that's just something that I can't seem to wrap my head around but you know obviously the 49ers wanted something else and are looking to the future uh and are and drafted who they believe is their quarterback of the future but you know I think Jimmy Garoppolo gets the job done when he needs to get the job done and can. And I think there have been bigger problems on this team this season than who's under center, under center, or at least other problems on this team. And I know you can make the argument, well, those problems wouldn't be as big if the quarterback play was a little better, or maybe uh, it wouldn't matter if the quarterback play was up and down, if those other problems were fixed. So, but I think, you know, it's, there are a lot of people on a team. There are a lot of things that go on and it's who's under center has not been the only issue. I'll say this to answer one of her questions too, Phil, uh, with, you know, there being sometimes, you know, within fan bases, it could be hostility towards a player. 
but every fan base has that one player that gets some criticism or too harsh of criticism that they probably shouldn't get. You probably could look at a guy on every team and find that guy. And I guess for Jimmy Garoppolo, it's heightened because he's the quarterback and it's heightened because they drafted Trey Lance, you know, so like the spotlight is really on him. And, you know, that, you know, of course, that's the most glorified probably position in sports. Uh, so, the, I mean, to answer a question, that's probably what it is, is he's just that guy that, you know, the flan- the fan base is split on for the 49ers. And you, you can find a guy like that on all 32 teams, to be honest with you. Yeah, definitely. Because you make a good point. The, that's a good word, Tracy, is the vitriol. It's just been very confusing to me personally. But, you know, of course, we're here in Jacksonville up, up until this year. You know, we didn't have even a guy that had, you know, resembled a guy that could take us to a Super Bowl. So, again, I think it is just, a, you know, the issue where, like Jay said, there is that guy on every single team. So that, you know, that is um, and unfortunately for for Jimmy, it's it seems to be him. But uh, Jay, she kind of touched on, you know, a little bit as far as there being other areas of concern for the 49ers. So I know that's going to be your next question. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I, I personally want to uh, ask you this. We ask this with pretty much every team that we have on or every guest we have on. Who do you feel or what do you feel uh, in particular when looking at this roster as a whole? It could also be personnel related or, you know, coaching related or front office related. But when you look at the 49ers organization, what do you think is the weakness on the field for them or perhaps, you know, off the field? Well, I think that there are you know, roster issues. I think that they somewhat mismanaged the secondary, uh, I think was a, has been, you know, a, a big issue and it's shown and, and it's come through. I think the pass rush is not, this is not the 2019 pass rush and that's okay, but I think they needed to accept that. And I think they have, uh, but this is, you know, this is not that team. Um, I think those are some of the bigger the bigger things that have gone on, especially in the secondary. I mean, they did draft two rookies who Diamador Lenore earlier in the season saw playing time, but has been replaced by Josh Norman, who actually has not been probably as terrible as everybody thinks he has been because there have been so many high profile penalties. But beyond that, uh, he, I don't think he's been, you know, as terrible as everybody thinks he's been. But, you know, I think they probably should have invested in a veteran corner because Jason Verrett was coming off a fantastic season, a fantastic player, fantastic leader, but a guy who's dealt with a lot of injuries. So I think they should have been prepared for the possibility that that could have happened again. And though they drafted two rookies, those guys obviously have not shown at least to them that they're quite ready, you know, to take over that role. So I feel like they probably should have invested in a veteran corner, but they didn't. And they are where they are. Uh, and I think, you know, if they can continue to play like they played Monday night, then they're playing their brand of football and, and they'll be fine. And that's that's what remains to be seen for the rest of the season. Can can they do that? Can they be efficient on third down? Can they control time of possession? Can they uh, win the turnover battle, take care of the football and, and create some plays? And that's, you know, we'll see if they can do that. And do I think they could do it on Sunday? Absolutely. Should they absolutely beat the Jaguars handily? 100%. I just feel like it could be a little bit closer than everybody thinks. You, you kind of answered your own question there, too. The reason why, why it could be close is because they probably will play that brand of football 
football that we saw against the Rams, for example, that smash mouth brand. And when you look at the opposite side of the field, that's what the Jaguars need to play. So we're probably going to be looking at, don't be surprised if this is just a smash mouth game on both sides where the scoring is low, you know, and the Jaguars defense is starting to find itself. I don't, you know, knock on wood that that continues. I don't know if that'll continue or not. But uh, when you look at what these teams at least should be or should want to be, they should be want to be what I just basically summed up. You know, the Jaguars have James Robinson, and they should feed him more, albeit he's coming off a heel injury. Uh, but, you know, that should be the brand of football that they want to play is kind of replicate what we saw with uh, with Shanahan when they were playing the Rams. And as we saw, like, the, the Rams are a finesse type of team, and I hate using that term, but they're a finesse type of team. And it just showed that they, you know, they couldn't really hang with, the 49ers in the trenches like people thought they would. I mean, you know, you see all of these presents, Aaron Donald and and Von Miller and whatnot, but at the same time, this is a team in, in San Francisco that has Trent Williams and Lakin Thomas, you know, and, and uh, Alex Mack in the trenches as well. It's clear what they need to be doing, and I think they'll try and do that against the Jags. And I think the Jaguars might try and replicate it too, but then again, you know, on our end, it's just kind of hard to gauge what kind of a load they're going to give James Robinson with him coming off the hill injury. Uh, but the next question I'll pass off the field because I, I kind of went on a little rant there. No worries, Jay. So, yeah, we, we of course, we're excited to, to get to this question because we kind of want to get your feelings about uh, Trent Bulky and his tenure in San Francisco, because I know when we brought him on as, as our guy, as our GM, we definitely saw a lot of, uh, a lot of Niner fans being very vocal about, well, good luck, Jacksonville Jaguar fans. And of course, you know, like I said, he's, he now holds that same title here. And, you know, so how did you feel about his tenure in San Francisco, as well as his right-hand man, Tom Gamble, who is also here in Jacksonville? I think, you know, Trent Baalke had a very, um, he had a rocky tenure in San Francisco. And I think those were somewhat rocky times in San Francisco. You had a a first time GM, the first time head coach, and, you know, heads butted along the way. And, and I think it was definitely a rocky time in San Francisco. There were some questionable draft moves. You know, we always, a lot of jokes have been made about the drafting guys, the torn ACLs and all of that. So, you know, I think there were a lot of factors that went into play and obviously it was, I, I keep using the word rocky because I think that's probably the best way to describe it uh but it will be interesting to see i mean obviously the jaguars are off to a disappointing start but i don't know that anybody thought it was going to be that much different than it is right now but it'll be interesting to see how this team develops and what his legacy ends up being in jacksonville and to see what he learned from his time in san francisco and you know our, our changes made and is he able to take what he learned and, and maybe improve upon that in his new position yeah well the good thing tracy is when you win one game the <laughs> the improvement is pretty pretty simple so at least at least we've done that and you know you well now they and now they've won two exactly so, like, exactly they're on, they're on a roll here <laughs> and and you know you talk about the acl thing and then jay what did he do he drafted andre cisco who was coming off an ACL injury yes. drafted Walker little, who hasn't played football in almost two years. So, I mean, those things are still happening. So I don't know that he's necessarily learned anything or maybe they're looking at it a little bit differently, but I'm not sure. Go ahead, Jay. 
also what kind of scared me too is when she said the whole uh the way that the 49ers went about it right a first time head coach from the college realm just like urban my i think uh, Harbaugh came from the college realm. They're doing the same thing here. First time head coach, except Balky's not a first time GM as well this time. He, well, but, a, but, 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 yeah, but, but that's what I was, that's the big difference. Balky's not a first time GM this time around. So I think that makes a very big difference. My point there was that you had a lot of people in their positions for the first time. So there wasn't necessarily, I would say, like an adult in the room to kind of, navigate that and now i think i do think that that is that is a difference because because bulky's been there before right and, and it's different in the sense that urban meyer runs the show this time too and maybe that's for the better maybe that's for the worse we don't know yet but i think me and phil kind of see eye to eye on this i think as crazy as this sounds we're more fine with meyer running the show than bulky running the show uh, based off of you know how the past went with him, uh, but you know it's it's a time will tell thing. It's it's really early in both of their ten years together, um, and we've already still started to question if Balky will be around, if Urban Meyer will be around. So right now it's a lot of chaos on this end, but um, you know maybe it'll get sorted out. Time will tell. Time will tell. I think that's the best. That's the thing. Time will tell. That is the uh, should be the motto here in Jacksonville over the last few years, but. Uh, Jay, if yeah. you want to just get into uh, exactly. So, Jay, if you want to get into the uh, last question here, and then we'll wrap it up. So, yeah, simple enough. We want to uh, find out what are your predictions for this game, and how do you think? Like, well, you pretty much have summed up how you think it will go, but in terms of a scoring prediction, uh, what do you think the end result will be? I think the betting odds for that is uh, at six point five. Uh, shout outs to betonline.ag. They probably got that to the T for us. <laughs> a little plug for our sponsor there. But uh, it's a 6.5 uh, point spread. Some people think uh, it'll be, you know, the Jaguars will make it closer than that. Then I, it's some that I've seen that think it'll be a little higher than that. Uh, where do you lie on that situation? And also, we'll just throw in a question we ask all our uh, people that, you know, join us. Who is a player? If you think there's one on this team, uh, on the Jacksonville Jaguar side that you would like to uh, basically poach over to the San Francisco 49ers? Uh, I would say probably Josh Allen, even though I think the 49ers obviously have an incredibly strong linebacker group and defensive line. I think Josh Allen's just a really special player. So that's the guy that would come to mind immediately on that. Uh, and then in terms of a score, I'm going to go with 24 to 14 San Francisco. You are one of the first guests that hasn't said Trevor Lawrence. So uh, really, uh, <laughs> that, that's impressive there. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I would not say Trevor. I, I have a lot of confidence in Trey Lance's dealing, and I think I have a little more confidence in Jimmy Garoppolo than most people, but I definitely have a lot of confidence in Trey Lance's dealing, so I wouldn't go with Trevor Lawrence. Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Well, yeah, I mean, that's it sounds about right. And like I said, just a game that's, not necessarily a blowout, but does get away just because of the the Jaguars' inability to kind of make plays down the stretch, Jay. I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking, right? Yeah, well, for me, I, I think I'll, I'll go along the lines of what did I put in the paper? Oh, God, I probably I probably will screw this up. I forgot what I put in my intern, but it was closer than that. I think it was along the lines. It might have been a six-point game. I had to look again, but um, yeah, I think it was more so along the lines of a six-point game or a touchdown type of game where the San Francisco 49ers won but 
Uh, I mean, I, we'll see. Uh, it's just, you know, again, like the, the 49ers are coming off a short week. Uh, they kind of start slow at times. I do fully expect them to win, but I don't know if they'll pull away like, uh, you know, they should with the talent that they have. But, I mean, otherwise, if it wasn't, a, you know, about the trip coming over to the East Coast and coming off a short week, I think it could be much worse for the Jags. Yeah, but uh, Tracy, again, thank you so much for joining us. I I let everybody know at the top of the show where they can find you. But, of course, one more time, just remind our audience where they can find you as well as all your projects. Uh, they can find me on Instagram at Tracy Sandler, on Twitter at 49ers Fangirl. And if you go there, you'll be able to find literally everything else. And then, of course, the Tracy Sandler Show on the Believe Network. Definitely excited to have you joining the uh, the Believe Podcast family. So all of that will be linked in the show notes. But Tracy, thank you so much for for coming on. This was a whole lot of fun. We hope to do this again with you soon. Uh, I know that you're going to make the trip out to Jacksonville. So I hope the city is good to you and you have a safe and and great flight. And uh, you know, check out the pools, check out the dog park. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm excited. I've never been. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun time and it's a really great energy. So I hope you have all a good time. Things. All right, Tracy, thanks so much. Thank you so much. And thank you again for having me. Absolutely. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. All right, everyone. And shout out to Tracy again for joining us. She was awesome. She literally did that interview on their way to the airport to travel out here for the game. So definitely MVP status for Tracy already. And uh, yeah, a lot of great insight there, Jay. And, you know, it's always awesome to connect with all of our other, you know, Believe podcast family here. So she definitely gave us some really great insight as far as the uh, the matchup this weekend. And I'm excited to see it play out. You pointed it out. You could definitely see it being a little bit closer. Uh, I'm kind of somewhere in the middle where I could definitely see the Niners kind of pull away and it not necessarily be like a, you know, a blowout kind of thing. It's just that the Jaguars, as we've seen from time to time, them being unable to make plays between you know specifically on the offensive side of the ball yeah yeah it's gonna it could be an interesting game what what scares me even though I think it could be closer than people think and I actually went and looked it up what I put in the USA Today paper my prediction for it was and y'all again y'all get this preview um y'all gonna have to actually go and buy the paper to get the rest of what I think but yeah I put 28 24 is what I put so a four-point lead there or a four-point win for the 49ers. But I digress from my point. Uh, but, yeah, when you look at the San Francisco 49ers team, I think it could be close. But at the same time, I have concerns that George Kittle might turn up on us. Like, he right. he might start a game slow, right? And, you know, for oh, for the love of God, I definitely hope he don't turn. Well, uh, I don't play you this week. I was about to say you have George <laughs> Kittle on your team, on your fantasy team. So I was hoping he didn't turn up. But uh, I don't play you this week, so that's somebody else's problem. But, yeah, I think, like, if George Kittle comes out slow, you know, I think he could turn up on the secondary, you know, in terms of that second and – or, excuse me, that third and fourth quarter. Uh, at the same time, I don't know, like, you know, if he's seeing a lot of man-to-man snaps with Rudy Ford, maybe Rudy Ford continues to shock us, you know, maybe. Who knows? But, uh, yeah, that's my biggest concern, that George Kittle has this gargantuan game or somebody like, and we saw this last time we played the 49ers in 2017. I know you remember this, Phil. Wasn't it Kyle chick that just tore a new one or just just flat out killed the Jags in the last one? That was our, uh, well, we had a couple trap games there. We had Arizona and San Francisco, lost both of those games. Yeah, so 
you know, they weren't as talented as, as us then. But, you know, Kyle Juszczyk since has become probably a better player, continues to make plays, an uh, underrated player, by the way. So he's another one that concerns me, too. Yeah, absolutely, Jay. Well, of course, we're excited for the matchup. And again, shout out to Tracy for joining us here this week. Uh, but Jay, is there anything else you'd like to let people know that they can look forward to not only here in the podcast, but of course, over on the Jaguars wire? And then after that, you know, we'll get out of here for the week and, and focus on this weekend's game. No, I mean, you know, I'll probably get a hold of Kyle Madison, talk behind enemy lines. The, that's the Niners Wires um, editor. He's funny, by the way. Feel free to um, follow him, everybody. I'll tweet his handle and I'll get that out to y'all. He's a pretty good beat writer and he's good at what he does over there. So, you know, we'll probably do behind enemy lines. You know, he'll do one for me. I'll do one for him as usual. But yeah, aside from that, man, we'll just look at like keys to victory. You know, the same old, same old stuff we always do. Um, you know, some defensive, some offensive keys to victory and uh, that kind of stuff. And then, you know, we'll we'll head into this game and maybe, you know, the Jaguars pull up another, pull off another upset uh, that some didn't see coming. Yeah, I'll certainly hope for at least an entertaining game this weekend as, uh, you know, all the fans return to TIAA Bank Field. But guys, thank you so much again for joining us for another episode of Believe in the Jaguars again If you're enjoying the show and you're listening on an Apple device, please do us a favor. Leave that five-star review. That's one of the best ways you can support the show. You can also find us on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. Make sure to check us out at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. You can also uh, make sure to follow the show on Twitter at Believe in Jags Pod. Find myself at Phil the Filipino, F-I-L-I-P-I-N-O. Jay is at SportsGrind underscore Don. And, of course, make sure you check out the Jaguars Wire for all of your up-to-date Jacksonville Jaguar news. Guys, my name is Phil Smith. That is my co-host, James Johnson. Thank you so much. Don't forget to believe in the Jaguars, but more importantly, believe in yourselves, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.